0: So we're, we're looking today, we're back to, uh, back to the Lord's Prayer. Um, and in, in some ways, the, the whole thing is awesome. And like I have said to you before, I think if, if we all prayed this prayer um, on a regular ba- basis and really let it soak in, it, it, it really would change us and transform us. And in some ways, uh, the line that we're going to talk about today, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in some ways, uh, this is the most revolutionary message, part of the prayer. Um, so, we're going to dig into it, and uh, in order to do that first, we're going to read from Matthew 6 again, 5-15, through 15, but I'm also going to reference a little later on, um, Luke 4, 14-21. Uh, so, we're going to read that too, uh, and get it in our heads, so that when I talk about it in a little bit. Um, it all makes sense. So, before we read, you'll find the words here and on the screen. Before we read, let's pray together. Thank you again, uh, God, for this book, for your Word. Thank you for the presence, your presence, Spirit, that you are with us, that you are in us. And as we sing, and as we pray, and as we, as we joke, and as we talk, and as we listen, uh, you're in the mix, and you're doing stuff inside of us that we maybe aren't even aware of. So we pray that, that we would hear your voice, and that you would change us, that you would touch us in the places that we need to be touched, that you would soften us so that we would be ready to hear Your voice. We trust You. Amen. Matthew 6, starting at verse 5, And when you pray, Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, over to to Luke 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Then he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, hometown boy, coming home. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." Then He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on Him. And He began by saying to them, Today, this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We'll go that far. So good. Okay. So even though I was only six years old at the time, um, I remember it reasonably well, right? It happened every time I stepped into my first grade class at Sunburst Elementary School in Glendale, Arizona. I'd walk into the room, say hi to the teacher and say hi to my friends and classmates and, and do whatever it is that first graders do to get ready to learn, and then I would sit down by, behind my flip-top desk. Remember those things? We don't have flip-top desks anymore. Those things were amazing. You put all your stuff in there. Now it's just a table. Let's, let's go back to flip-top desks. That's my suggestion. Anyway, then the teacher would, would sort of calm us down and quiet us down and get us ready for the next part uh, of the day. Uh, and before long, it would happen. This is how every day started. Uh, we would all hear the same thing. It came out of this, this like brown box that was fastened to the wall by the door, just up by the ceiling, uh, the intercom, right? We would all hear the voice. I don't know if it was the principal. I don't know if it was like a counselor, but it was the same voice every single time. Maybe you remember the voice from your days in first grade, the voice, Uh, So, the voice would give us sort of instructions, give us really important announcements, like, what are we going to have for lunch that day? Super important announcement. Whether or not we were going to go out for recess that day, super important. Maybe a couple of other reminders for us. Uh, And then, uh, we would end our time with the voice, with the voice commanding us to all stand up, face the flag, and put our hands over our hearts. And then, all together in one voice, we would say along with the voice, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Indivisible? With liberty and justice for all, here's the deal, man, I would say that thing and I wouldn't even have to think about the words because we did it every single day. And because I didn't have to think about the words, I didn't even have to think about what it meant or what it means or what it might mean or what we could create. Yeah, I didn't even have to think about that because we just said it all the time and I could just say it, didn't even have to think about it. Here's the deal. I think that for a lot of people, the Lord's prayer has become something like that because most of us have said this prayer or we've heard it enough that when someone starts praying it, we just kind of join in either out loud or in our heads and we don't really have to think about what it is that we're saying or what it might mean for our lives or what we could like create if we really lived into the words that we're praying. And I wonder I wonder if we actually thought about the words that we were praying. I wonder if we might be a little bit more hesitant to actually pray this prayer and mean it. Do we understand? Do we understand what we are saying? Do we understand what we're asking from God? Do we understand what we're claiming about God and the way the world works and the way that God wants the world to work? Do we really understand what we are What we are saying, we are willing to give up. Especially in this part where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because the things that we're asking, the things that we're claiming, the things that we're saying we're willing to give up, it's really nothing short of astonishing. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is. In heaven. So there came a time when he just couldn't take it any longer, right? He just couldn't take it. There was like this fire deep within him that he couldn't contain anymore. And so he was like, I just have to get on with it, right? It's like, I got to do this. So this scruffy Galilean named Jesus, he brings himself down to the Jordan and got baptized by his cousin John. And just after coming up out of the water, uh, he says this thing that he's been itching to say for a really long time. Like he's probably tested it out before with a smaller group of people, but now it was time to go public. Now it was time to get on with it already. Now it was time to, to, to make sure that more people heard it. And so he stands up and he says... The time is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe this good news. This good news. The Greek word is euangelion. It's where we get our word evangelical, which is interesting in today's world and context. But he says, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this good news. Now, To the people who were there, to the Jewish ears who were listening to this for the very first time, they must have thought to themselves, oh, this is so good. Yeah, this is good news. Like the Roman Empire is going to be crushed, subdued, and we're going to have our own, a new kingdom, and we're going to have our own king on the throne. It's going to be fantastic. Images of military and violent revolt would have danced in their brains because that's what you do when you want power. You go and take it, you force it, you make it happen. So that's what was going on in their brains, right? Finally a new king in town. And then not long after that, Jesus finds himself in his hometown Nazareth, and the elders in the in the place ask him to speak in the synagogue. And Jesus is like, "All right, fine, I'll do it. I'm ready." And so he takes the 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 scroll of Isaiah, and he reads these words, "Listen to these words. The spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight to the blind. And there are lots of ways we can be blind. Not just physically. Lots of ways. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. To release The oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down while in the seat of authority while everyone else remains standing to hear the sermon. Because if you really want to pay attention to the sermon, you stand, right? No takers. That's fine. I got one. Okay. I like that. In the back. You don't have to stand, it's fine. So everyone else stands. And he gives like the shortest sermon ever. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know what he's saying? You understand what he's doing? He's claiming that text from Isaiah as his own. It's like his, his personal mission statement. He's owning it. He's saying, my life is all about the kingdom of God. And if we miss what he teaches us, in fact, this is the central message of Jesus. He taught more about the kingdom of God than anything else. It's the thing that he embodied when he walked on this planet. He, and if we miss it, we're missing most of what Jesus taught. We're missing most of what Jesus did, right? He's like, my life is all about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is all about those words you just heard from the mouth of Isaiah. It's not like the kingdoms of this world. Not at all. It's not like the kingdoms of this world. It's not about grasping after political power. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is not not about creating a voting block so that we can get the, the right guy on the throne. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is about good news for the poor. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace. The kingdom of God is about freedom for those who have been imprisoned. It's about justice. It's about giving everyone they need to live a full, flourishing life. The kingdom of God is about bringing sight to the blind. It's about lifting up those who have been trampled on. It's about, it's about remembering the forgotten in this world, and making sure that everyone is on equal ground. That is what the kingdom of God is all about. And then a little bit later, he gathers some people around him. He calls them the disciples. Later would transition them into the apostles, which means they would be sent out to do and teach what Jesus did and and taught. And he says to these people early on, he says, Come, follow me. Be a part of this movement of God's grace that will change and transform everything. It's a revolution. Come, follow me. Let's do this. Friends, when we pray, your kingdom come. We internalize and we participate in what we hear Jesus teaching, saying, and what we see Him doing. When we pray, your kingdom come, we internalize, which means we let it change us. We internalize and we participate in what we hear Jesus saying and what we see Jesus doing. We actually become part of this movement of God that seeks to bring about justice and righteousness and healing and forgiveness in the world. We allow ourselves to sort of be swept off our feet in order to participate in a world that is ruled by God with grace and love. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Oh! I want to take a moment and I want us to all... This is so important. I want us to use our... Let's lean into our underutilized and often forgotten gift of imagination. Can we do this? So I want you to imagine with me. In fact, I want us to take this seriously. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to really imagine this. Imagine. Imagine a gathering of over 10,000 people. We're just coming out of a pandemic and we're, we're now at the, at the point where we can, we can at least imagine something like this. A gathering of over 10,000 people from a a wide variety of churches and different denominational backgrounds. Like I said, use your imagination. We can imagine a world that is different. Imagine them coming together on three consecutive days, meeting in a city's convention center. Imagine it. Imagine them focusing on some of the great moral issues of our time, issues like children living in poverty, Issues like children not having enough to eat, deteriorating school systems, the inequity we find in our world, the the problem of homelessness, and a whole bunch of others. Imagine more than 150 people at this gathering who were not followers of Jesus signing up for it, saying, holy moly, if this is what the church is about and following Jesus is about, I'm in. Imagine that. Imagine local pastors and non-profit leaders meeting with the mayor and the governor to talk about at lunch about some of the great moral issues of our time. Now think about this. At the end of the three-day gathering, 2,000 people hit the street on Saturday to serve the city in tangible ways. Imagine. Imagine thousands of small groups being formed for ongoing discipleship Training one another and serving alongside of one another in the city. Think about the kind of impact that could have in a city. You can open your eyes now if you want. Here's the deal. The people of Columbus, Ohio don't have to imagine it because it actually happened. It all took place at this thing called a justice revival, led by a guy named Jim Wallace. They had another one, a similar one, about a month after this one in Dallas. They created 25 partnerships between churches and schools. Churches and schools partnering together. At the same time, they built 700 places for permanent housing for the homeless. Imagine what it would be like if these sorts of things were held in every major city in this country imagine how much fun it would be to be a part of something like that those are the kinds of things those are the kinds of things we're praying for when we pray your kingdom come see when we pray your kingdom come it's like we're praying father we know that your kingdom is at hand we know that you're out at work in the world putting things back together again. Show us where, show us how we're in. Sign us up for that. We want to live that kind of life. Your kingdom come. But here's the deal. Jesus doesn't stop there. He keeps going. He says, your kingdom come. Then He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven he says if you're going to pray if you're going to pray pray like this your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and i like it part of me doesn't like it that jesus goes here but i like it that jesus goes here because i think i think we need it because it's not our kingdom it's God's kingdom. It's not our will. It's God's will. If Jesus didn't go here, then we'd claim the kingdom as our own and we would try to impose our will on it <laughs> because that's what we do. We'd try to make the kingdom of God a crude little imitation of the kingdoms of this world, right? If Jesus didn't go here, then we'd try to make our churches like little kingdoms of our own, and we would rule them the way we want to rule them, and we would do only what we thought needed to be done. If Jesus didn't teach us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we would run our churches like Apple, or Microsoft, or Amazon, right, or the American Democratic government. But here's the deal. God's kingdom is above And beyond all those other kingdoms, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's God's will, not ours. You know what this is? You know what we're inviting ourselves into when we pray this prayer? We're inviting ourselves into an ongoing relationship with the divine in which we fundamentally, we just let go of ourselves. This is an invitation to be on alert Because we might just get in the way of ourselves. This is an invitation into the practice of everyday surrender. How many times do our prayers consist of only things we want God to do for us? Like God is some sort of cosmic Santa Claus. How many times do we just treat God like that? I, I think God does want to hear about what we want, certainly. But I think the discipline of praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven opens us up to the sometimes painful reality that what we want might not be the best thing. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I like it that Jesus goes here too. Our daily bread. right? Because if we're going to live this kingdom of God-oriented lives, participating in the movement of God, to bring about justice, to make sure that everybody has what they need to live flourishing lives, to bring about this movement of God, to bring about justice and righteousness and healing and forgiveness, then we're going to need some help. Right? If we're going to give lives of surrender to the will of God then we'll need to recognize our own need. Give us today our daily bread. Give us O oh God what we need to become the kind of people you want us to be. Give us O oh God what we need so that we can do what you want us to do. We don't want more than what we need for today. Right? We don't need lots of money and power and influence and resources to sort of cover the rest of our lives. All we need is enough for today. We'll trust that you'll provide for tomorrow when tomorrow comes. Give us this day, today, our daily bread. Give us this day, our daily bread. Tom Long tells a story about when Mother Teresa went to visit Edward Bennett Williams, who was a powerful lawyer at the time in Washington. And at one time, Williams was a guy who owned the Washington Redskins and the Baltimore Orioles. He was a lawyer for Frank Sinatra and Richard Nixon. So big, powerful, wealthy person, right? So Mother Teresa was visiting him because she was raising money for an AIDS hospice. So Williams was in charge of a small nonprofit that would often uh, help out organizations, and she thought that they could help. And before she arrived for the appointment, Williams said to his partner, you know, AIDS isn't my favorite disease. I don't really want to make a contribution, but I've got this Catholic saint coming to see me, and I don't know what to do. So they had a little discussion in his office before she came, and they decided that they would listen politely and then politely decline. So, Mother Teresa arrived. You know her. She's just this little sparrow of a person sitting on the other side of this great big mahogany desk behind which sat two very powerful men. She gave her pitch for the hospice house to take care of people dying of AIDS, and they politely said no. She said, Let us pray. He looked at his partner and was like, that's weird. So they participated in the prayer. After which, she gave the exact same pitch, word for word, for them to help give money to the hospice house. They again politely declined. She says, let us pray. They prayed. After which, she gave the same pitch, word for word, for them to help. After which they politely declined, she said, let us pray. And finally, he threw up his arms in the air, exasperated and said, fine, just give me my checkbook. (laughs) And he wrote her a check. Now, I tell you that story not because Mother Teresa was such a powerful woman. I tell you that story because she was not. All she had She took a vow of poverty. All she had was enough bread for today. Friends, you don't have to be a big, important person with lots of power to have an enormous impact in the world. That's not even how the kingdom of God works. What did Jesus say about the kingdom of God? Think about some of the things that he said about the kingdom of God. You don't have to be big and powerful. He said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is like the smallest of all your seeds. And yet, when it's planted in the ground, soon it sprouts and becomes this large bush giving grace and shade to the birds of the air. He said, the kingdom of God is like a a little bit of yeast in a batch of dough. And in its hidden place, it works mysteriously. And then all of a sudden, You've got this great big grace filled loaf of bread. You don't have to be big. You don't have to be powerful. You don't have to have lots of resources to have a great impact for the kingdom. It starts small, really small. In a church like this, in a heart, Like yours. And in that hidden place, God goes to work mysteriously, powerfully, beautifully, giving you and me and us together what we need our daily bread. Just enough. Just enough. And suddenly, after a period of time, there's justice, there's righteousness. There's healing. There's forgiveness. There's the kingdom of God right here in our own community, in our own neighborhoods. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Let's pray.